Hello, everyone, and welcome to At the Corner with Imperfect Life, the podcast showcasing extraordinary, ordinary women and discussing the issues and topics that intersect with our lives. I'm your host, Katie Capoza, and today's episode is part two of a discussion on elder care, where we find ourselves at the corner of caring and preparing. In part one, we discuss the dynamics of taking care of others. Listen in as I continue the conversation with my guests, Amy Delorier, Amelia Manny, and Karen Wade, as we explore the aspects of taking care of business and taking care of ourselves as it pertains to elder care. So let's pivot to taking care of business and then we'll go into taking care of self. We've been swimming in both of those a little bit already. And personally, I found that one of the most frustrating aspects about being a care provider is having to navigate all the bureaucracy, wading through all the information that can be too much and not enough all at the same time. And then it's just, it's exhausting. And to what you were just saying, Amy, right? I need to be smart enough to help with these decisions that I'm being looked at to help make, but I don't have the right context. And and all I kept thinking was, well, I'm supposed to be focusing on my loved one, but yet I'm, I feel like I'm negotiating contracts and stuff like that. So I am, and, and for example, like Karen, you were talking about social workers. I mentioned pay of care. So I'm curious what the three of you have experienced and any tips, tricks, resources that you might share with our listeners. Some categories we might talk about is navigating the healthcare system, legal matters, having access to the information that you might need, conversations you should have sooner than later. All of these are places that I think we could tap into. Karen, you had talked about with like Medicare, the moment they can bounce you out of something, yeah, it's right? usually like right around 20 days when she, went in, for, when she went in for her hip fracture. And one of the things that happens is when they have something happen to them, like a bad fall or whatever, they usually make a determination. And, oh, I can't tell you how many emergency rooms I've spent six and seven hours in or almost a whole day in the emergency room. The recent ones, they released, they've been releasing her but I have to make sure I have documents in order to take her back to her assisted living because they won't take her back if they don't see what the emergency room has said. But in the very beginning, it was based on the severity of the falls or whatever happened, how long she stayed in the ER. And then it's a determination of an admitting doctor. And then it's usually a minimum of three days. And then from there, it's a determination, do they need to go to rehab or can they go home and have PT at home or outpatient PT? So those are some of the you know early stages of the things that happen. But yeah, Medicare is one is making sure who's their health insurance, what their coverage is. And who signs um, off on what? I mean, well, so for us, it was with hospice and they were like, that we're going to send them to hospice, but really Medicare only lets you stay in hospice for three cool. to four days. And if in three to four days, they've got you stabilized, they're going to release you. And then you'll have to do in home hospice. So I, we are spending countless hours trying to research. Oh my gosh, how do we set up this in-care hospice? The man can't get up. Like, how mm-hmm. is my mom going to do this? And when we were in the hospice center, we, it was one of the questions I asked the physician and he looked at me and he said, I'm the one who signs off on that paperwork. Exactly. And I say when it's time for him to leave and he's not anywhere close to being ready. And I was like, so you're telling us we can pause and he's, I'm telling you, you can pause. So I mean, like, I was just like, oh my gosh. Cause I like where it's, and the sad thing is what he's in essence telling me is your dad's never going to leave this facility. And so it's sad at the same time, but then it was like, oh wait, so we can just be with him instead of trying to do this. That's what you should be. Yeah. That's what you should be when somebody is sick and needs help. You shouldn't have to be navigating this really dark space of healthcare (laughs) And all the questions that arise when you really should be able to focus on your loved one and be there for them. But yeah, the the healthcare system doesn't allow that, you know. There are different aspects with the hospice. There's the hospice that's assigned when you have an end stage. And that is one thing to really educate yourself on is what are the different, you know, phases of hospice. And Katie, I had gone through it with my dad when he reached that stage and the third trip back to the hospital. We knew he wasn't coming home. He just wasn't strong enough they turned it over to hospice. And then once you turn it over to hospice in a case like that, they start making the decision. They start administering the morphine or whatever it is based on what's going on. And then I went through it again with Kevin because we went through him being on out on medical leave, workman's comp, all of that stuff. And then also, also when he would be in and out of the hospital for his cancer treatment, it was when he came home, it was the home health care. 
So that's the other thing is, can yeah. you get home health care for them to come and th- they can do things like or help them bathe or whatever. I don't do that yeah. with my mother. I'm the one that does that for her because her assisted living is not a nursing facility. And there's a big difference between assisted, you know, there's independent assisted and then there's nursing and rehab facilities. They don't do nursing care at my mother's facility. Anything happens, they call 911, <laughs> you know, so that's why it's a trip to yeah. the Which is interesting is knowing the nuances between these different aspects. And again, to my good friends at AARP, they have a (laughs) lot of information that helps. I should talk to them about getting information. But the but the other thing that I found was the actual hospice centers, some of them have really good information on their websites as well about when you would use them and how you engage with them. But right, like you're not thinking like I, before somebody said he needed to go to hospice, I'm trying to do in-home care. So I'm looking at all that stuff. And that was like a, like a bowl of spaghetti and everything was entwined. When you're in the moment, you can't do all that. You can't do justice to the process. You're just trying to keep your head above water and everything's just coming at you rapid fire. And that's how my dad was feeling. Like he was having to make decisions when he had the guilt of my mom, I don't want to be in a home yeah, yeah. <laughs> and not knowing what, you know, he want, he would have been happy with her seeing in the hospital, but the hospital, like, she doesn't need to be in the hospital anymore. We've cleared the infection that she had and yeah. she, this is not where she needs to be. And, and you also then battle not only the, the system, right? Like we've been talking about and the web that it is, but also whether it's good care, the rehab oh, that's facility the other, that huge. my parents, that my mom yeah. went into, it just yeah. wasn't the level of care. So every time she had to go, it was this terrible guilt. And what's the answer? My dad will care for her better at home, but not, he can't manage it. He can't physically manage it. So it was really, it was just really stressful because it's, it wasn't even the paperwork at that point. It was the level of care. And, and that, everybody uh, was one, short-staffed. One thing and- is even reaching out to people in your community. Luckily, where my mom was, that's where I went to high school. So I had friends that were still there that had been through this and stuff. And so you, you'd start asking. And because my mother had volunteered for hospice, she knew the facilities. She had been to the rehab. Yeah. She had been to the assisted living. She knew the good ones. She knew the bad ones. So I already had a little bit of a background. But then she would also leverage that and use that against me to say, no. I'm not going there. I'm not going here. The last time she went to rehab, I wanted her to go back to where she went for the hip fracture. She said, no, I want to go to blah, blah, blah. And I knew the one she was picking was not going to be good. And within a day after she got there, it was like huge difference in the quality of the room, the care, everything. Yeah. Everything. Well, and I think you're right about tapping into the community because my parents live in a 50 plus massive yeah. retirement community and which they're I will in, not name. They're not in that place, are they? <laughs> they're in that place, which I will not name because oh, I gosh. will not give that place publicity. But anyways, no, the, no. um, but. <laughs> Tell but, us how you really feel, Katie. <laughs> yeah, but, but she, like, she has plenty of friends who have yeah. been in her situation. And so the place that we were able to get my father into, she was super comfortable in because she had heard from other people. Yeah. She had actually visited a friend there. So she knew what it was like. It was a little bit different because of COVID protocols and stuff, yeah. but, um, but yeah, I think that is super helpful. The other thing is like one navigating the healthcare system is one. And for those of you that aren't in the U S that are listening to the podcast, right? Yeah. Some of you are living in countries that the healthcare system is not this crazy to navigate and are super helpful. And others are in areas where this craziness in the U S would be a gift. So I I totally understand finding those resources are different, but then there's the whole other aspect of legal matters. And we're talking about decisions that we're having to make and our parents and our loved ones are all in different stages of stuff. But on our call, when we had first connected to talk about this topic, Karen, you and I were talking about the difference of power of attorney versus durable power of attorney and right. And power, I'm going to, put this at its most simplistic, keep me honest, all of you, power of attorney is generally after the person has deceased, who gets to make decisions about the estate and what happens. But durable is not right. Durable lets you do it beforehand, right? Yeah. And you really want to make sure it's durable because really the, you know, what happens once they're deceased, all that other stuff goes away. And it becomes whatever the living, okay. living, the living will part, make sure there's a living will as well, because the living will then tells 
the healthcare workers, okay, in the case of a heart attack or a stroke, what does this person want done? My mother weighs 75 pounds now. I had to have her update that and sign it again recently that says we will not, they will not, no one will attempt to resuscitate her because they would fracture her rib cage if she yeah. had a heart attack. It, it would be more painful than anything to try to do that. So the living will is very important. And you have to have those, really make sure you have those documents because anytime they go in the hospital, they're going to ask yeah, you yeah, for it. Yeah. Yep. Every time I went, go to the ER now, it's yep. on file. I have to tell them it's on file. It's there. Yes, I am. And the other thing is a healthcare surrogate. So I'm her designated healthcare surrogate. That's huge. So that there's somebody in the family. Now, I don't know, you can probably have dual people, but most attorneys will tell you it's better to have just one person yeah. in case there's disagreement among the family you know, yeah. for various yeah. reasons and believe yep. it happens. So you need a healthcare surrogate so that someone can help because my mom's past the point of anytime they ask her a question now, I have to answer it for her because she doesn't have the memory to know when did that happen? When did this happen? How long has it been since this or whatever? So healthcare surrogate's important. Durable power of attorney is important. Living will is important. And then of course the will, because once they're deceased, everything defers to what the will says. Okay. Yep. So who is the executor Yep. or are there double executors of the will? So again, there could be one executor and then you know, obviously who how the will gets, how the estate gets divided up and stuff. Also, depending upon what state your your parents are in, uh, their home. In the state of Florida, they don't have to sell their home if they don't want to, even if they've gone you know, to assisted living. Now, what a lot of attorneys will tell you is go ahead and deplete all their assets and then you can put them on Medicaid. I, I refuse to do that with my mother because I've seen the difference in what she would get under Medicaid. Yeah. Yeah. Versus what she would get under Medicare. Luckily for me, my mother was a penny pincher, you know, <laughs> and she saved enough money in the 15 years that she went back to work. She saved enough money that's paying for her assisted living right now. Yeah. Yeah. How much longer? I don't know. You need How to have at least work? three years, at least three years, I would say. Because they say an average, I think, is like three to four years in assisted living before they pass. So at minimum, you need three years of coverage to pay for that assisted living. How did you broach the topic of living well with? Well, that's where now she had done when my parents divorced in the 19 uh, early 1970s. And my younger brother was much younger and she was very concerned about her own health at time at that time. She just because of the devastation of the divorce, she actually <laughs> blessing put me on her checking account. Yeah. On a joint checking account, which was a blessing. Never touched it since the 1970s, but that's been a blessing. Now she tried to, just before the assisted living thing came about, she tried to go to the bank, get all of her documents. She got a neighbor to take her. In fact, the bank manager was like, we saw her come in with this person that we were really worried about. Oh. Because the neighbor actually has a criminal record. Oh, <laughs> and the neighbor luckily called me and said, look, your mom asked me. And I'm like, Thank you for telling me and don't ever do it again. Don't ever agree to take her to the bank. But luckily, they, she couldn't take me off with the joint account without my knowledge once they do that. So that was a blessing. You talk about blessings. That was a blessing. But now I need that because I need to manage your finances. But so she had done a will after the divorce and she had actually set up um, a trust for my brother, Kevin, in case something happened to me and put me on the account so that I could take care of him. And then that went away and she just never changed it. So she already had the will in place. It was when we did the second will, when I did my will and Kevin did his will, that the attorney started saying, you really need to have the living will, you need to have this. And then the third time was when the, I let the, when she started getting really pushing back and because she knew the time was coming that she was probably going to have to go to assisted living and couldn't live by herself anymore. That's when I had the you know company that she was insured under her medical her supplemental insurance i had that caseworker and that social worker come in to her home interview her get all the information look at her paperwork and they're the ones that would not let her not do it they said nope you've got to get this done you've got to sign the durable power of attorney you've got to get this notarized because she had gotten the papers put my brother on one and put me on another but she wouldn't sign them 
and you have to have it notarized. So finally they said, nope. And they wouldn't give up until she got all of that in place. So again, it sounds like to me, most of you have enough of a good relationship with your you know, parents that you can encourage them to do that. But people will experience that where their parents are like, no, I'm not going to give that up. <laughs> you know? And there's scripts and lists out like oh, my good friends at AARP, but also there's caregiving.org. Mm-hmm. There's a, a couple things out there, but what Karen was saying, my parents' attorney, so these are all the documents that you yeah, need to think yeah. about. That's what our attorney but, did too. It's like, this is what yeah. you need. It was like, oh, okay. All these things. <laughs> yeah. But the financial stuff is interesting, right? Because My parents, because they spoke with a financial advisor, what do I need to do? And how do, this is what I want to make sure whoever passes first, we want this to seamlessly pass to the survivor. And if both of us go, we want this to seamlessly pass to our daughter. So what are the right things that we need to do to be able to put that in place? But here's the thing we learned, our parents' generations had a different approach to who is the owner of accounts. And if you have a super, if you have a super feminist mom who was very determined (laughs) to have her name on her own stuff, then you're in a different situation. But fortunately, bank accounts were both of their names, like all of these different things. But credit cards are where we got stuck because she, they both believe they both are authorized users of the credit card. And in their brain, that came through as a joint account. It makes yeah. sense. Both there, they not. each have a card with their name yeah. on it. But it's not. That's Only not one person is the owner of that account. So yeah. now you have a person who has n- no credit card history right. for their entire life trying yeah. to get a replacement credit card for my mother was like, yeah, just keep our fingers crossed and see something and it worked out. But I mean, she had a debate with one of the cards that were like, you don't have a credit history. What do you mean? I don't have a credit history. Yeah, like yeah. I've I have been, a card right here. Well, and I was on the bank accounts. I was on the mortgages. I was on the car loans. Yeah. I was on the blah. I have a credit history. And I'm like, and by the way, she has hits on her credit history from being an authorized signatory of those cards. So you can go after her credit, but you can't give her credit. Like I, yeah, yeah. And that's the other, other thing with married couples is if you have joint credit cards and there is a death, then the spouse, I do believe, is liable for whatever the debt is. That did not. If joint. If you have joint cards. Oh, joint. Yeah. If you have a joint account, but if one's yeah. just an authorized signatory, then yeah. it, it's not, which we learned that on, on the journey yeah. as well, too. But so you've got to figure out how to navigate the healthcare. You got to figure out the legal things. You yeah. got to figure out the financial oh, yeah. things. And then it's, you got to have all the information. So for those of you listening to the podcast, these three ladies have heard me talk about the magical binder <laughs> that my mom and dad had, which I am in the process of putting binders together for both me and my husband and then our surviving parents. But that in when things happen, you just grab the binder, whether that is a digital binder or a physical binder or whatever you're comfortable with your data management. But it had like, I didn't have to go digging through a filing cabinet to find out all the people that I had to call. And I didn't have to go digging. And I say I, but it was my mom and I, all the insurance policies are in there. All the things like for retirement plans, all of those different things, credit cards, property, utilities, like all of these different things of the people you have to notify. And then who needs a death certificate and do they need a long form or a short form? Like when you're at that moment, but, but then also having the things like a copy of the will, a copy of your living, like all of these things in there, Mm -hmm. we did not have to waste time and energy trying to research it. We just had to have the binder. (laughs) So I, whatever that is, I will just tell you from my own personal experience, it, I don't know the full extent of stress it removed, but I can imagine how much stress it removed with just the stress I had and having a binder. So that's where I'm like, and it's the meal you asked the question, like, how did you approach the, the topic of a living will? Like I, I, cause I looped back with my mom and I said, okay, so now we need to change the binder. 
and who do we need to call? What documents now need to be updated now that dad has passed? And hopefully it's not for decades. When and but if that the when the time comes, comes, you know where everything is and you yeah. know that you you have a say and you can actually care for your mom. Yeah. Um, without Which, legal issues and medical issues and what have you like that. And it's cleaner for me than yeah. the three of you I know, because I yeah. don't have a living yeah. sibling. We, I have a really good relationship with my mom. So you all have good relationships with your family as well too. But so it's, it's cleaner for me. I don't, there is no question on who the person is, but. Yeah, I need you know. to know what the binder looks like, Katie. Cause yeah, I, what is binder. Like I am, and for our listeners, I am working on the list. And once I have that done, I actually will create a tool and a guide for um, not only the three of you, but yeah. also for, for everybody that's in the, the imperfect life family to be able to access because even having a checklist to start from is huge. (laughs) So even little, so I just, this is just a little funny, quirky thing, but I was at the hospital with my dad when I, we were in the emergency room and and even navigating that because there were some days when my mom was in the emergency room for 27 hours. It was crazy. Like laying on a gurney in the hallway. Mm -hmm. and It was just, wasn't a good situation. It just adds to the stress and the, I don't want to leave until my mom is admitted. But I would, there was one night I had to go back to the house and I said, oh, I'll go get a blanket because she was cold and they didn't have any blankets. And so I'll go to the house. I'll go get a blanket, get what we need, get our slippers, whatever. And then I'll come back. And then I couldn't get into the house. I had a key to the house. My parents locked the storm door. Oh, <laughs> wow. no. I was like, stop locking the storm door because you're, you give me the key to the house with the storm door. So little things like that. I was like, I can't get into this damn house, even though I have a key. Oh, um, ours was, so, it was a, it was a code and the battery was yeah. fried. And I'm yeah, like, we, <laughs> anyway. was, my, here's what my mom did. It was always a chain lock on top of the deadbolt oh. and everything. <laughs> so anytime I, I had to have the emergency come, I had to call one time I had to call the emergency from Orlando and get connected to Brevard County to get the emergency to go to her house. Yes. I had to tell them how to break into her house. All right. So thank you for all of those tips and navigation. And we'll put some resources out there, but if anything, we may not solve how you figure those things out, but at least have given you some breadcrumbs to think about and some conversations you might need to have. But now it's time for our, did you know, segment. And for this episode, we wanted to share some information regarding caregiving in the LGBTQI community. Older adults in this community make up 2.7 million of the growing aging population in the U.S. And by 2030, this number is expected to more than double, according to SAGE USA, an organization focused on advocacy and services for LGBTQI plus elders. Many older adults in this community have experienced a lifetime of discrimination and social stigma, as well as institutionalized discrimination in healthcare and social services. And often these individuals no longer have people to rely on from their families of origin and create their families of choice, typically made up of friends, partners, ex-partners, and perhaps a few relatives. Caregivers for the LGBTQI plus community have some unique issues that they experience. One in particular is the ability to have legal recognition of families of choice. Sadly, most families of choice are not afforded any legal recognition or protection. And that being said, a majority of states have now adopted some version of the CARE Act, which is Caregiver Advice Record and Enable. And while the legislation varies from state to state, its basic premise is that hospitals are required to ask patients at admission whether they'd like to designate a caregiver which of course only works if the individual is able to communicate that. And, but while their hospital visitation rights have been extended through this act, hospitals are obligated to rely on the patient's next of kin for any medical decisions. So even if they've given access to be able to see them and visit them, they do not have the permission to give the medical advice and medical decisions. And this is where completing an advanced directive becomes helpful. So what Karen with living wills and all of those documents become super helpful. Some other unique issues for this community is likelihood to access service. They've had such negative interactions with the medical community that oftentimes individuals are actually afraid to engage with the medical community and medical facilities at this point in time. Financial concerns, caregiver burnout and isolation, which is 
similar in a lot of cases, but in a different type of context. Mm -hmm. And so what we would like to do is provide any additional information regarding caregiving for this community. Check out the podcast notes for a link to some resources to get you started. And the organization that I referenced uh, earlier with Sage USA had a ton of information out there that would be a good resource for anybody that is looking to learn a little bit more. My mom was the caregiver for her best friend. Oh, really? power of attorney, a medical proxy. He had dementia. So she was dealing with the state. And so this is, this can be something that's very hard to get information and resources about, and it is more complicated. So this, thank you for including this. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Like I said, we'll put some information in the podcast notes. We'll share it out on the website and in the um, private community, but thought it was an important piece of information to carve out on this podcast. So let's go into our final segment on this subject. So we've talked about taking care of others and taking care of business. Now let's talk about taking care of yourself. I know I personally, I really struggled for, to find a way to take care of myself during everything that was happening with my dad. I was fried. I was totally fried. And I, I knew like, I'm still six months after he passed away. And Amy knows this because she was at my father's memorial, but I was like, I may, I got my mom here. I now can start grieving and paying attention to myself. And I don't actually think that's right. Please do not use me as a good <laughs> example because I, sh- I should have been carving out space for me to be able to grieve through this process as well or to be stressed. Although those shower streaming moments were very <laughs> cathartic, but, but I was fried. Um, and I can share some of the things that I did from that perspective as our guests. But let me start with on the Caregiver Action Network website, they shared 10 tips for family caregivers. So I'm going to list these off. And then as a group, perhaps we can chat about if any of these resonated with, with us or if there's anything we would add. So first of all, seek support from other caregivers. You're not alone. And there are lots of groups out there that I have found way too late, <laughs> but I guess it's not too late. Cause I still, I still <laughs> navigate things with my mom, but I wish I had actually discovered them earlier. Take care of your own health so that you can be strong enough to take care of your loved ones. I was not doing a really good job at that. So I'll be totally honest with that. Accept offers of help and suggest specific things people can do to help you. Learn how to communicate effectively with doctors. We've all been talking a bit about that. Caregiving is hard work. So take respite breaks often. And yes, watch out for signs of depression and don't delay getting professional help when you need it. Be open to new technologies that can help you care for your loved one. Organize medical information so it's up to date and easy to find the binder. (laughs) Make sure legal documents are in order. And give yourself credit for doing the best you can in one of the toughest jobs there is. And I personally, like I will double down on number 10 and not only know that you're doing the best you can, because sometimes you are going to be the only person who gives yourself credit for doing it. (laughs) Yeah. We've been talking about our, our loved ones getting nasty and ornery and pesky with us and stuff. And my mom has said, I don't know how I got through it. I would have gotten through it without you. There were moments where it was just like, this is all I can do. This is all I can do. I don't know if it's enough. And I would just say, just whatever you're doing, it's enough. There's always going to be more you could do and just know you're doing what you can do. So let me pause there. Any, what are the reactions or anything you would add? Anything resonate with the three of you? Katie, one thing I would have to, to say, and obviously I've already been through with the loss of my dad. After my dad, I actually, between my job stress at the time and losing him and the unresolved family stuff, I joined a gym. It was up there. Had a guy that was a retired military guy calling me saying, where are you? You got to work out, <laughs> you know, get up here, get your ass up here, you know? So I had that for a while. I did that. But one of the things I wanted to focus on is the grieving process you will go through before you're parent even passes yeah yeah because um, that's what I'm going through now yeah with knowing she's the last yeah yeah it's it, it, Amy you mentioned this right I'm the kid 
Like, and so your dynamic and your relationship with your parent has shifted. You're watching them in this state of deterioration. You can't make it go away for them. It's, it was tough. And even for my dad, we had hope with some immunotherapy. So then your hope, but I, even if this works, his life has become smaller from this to what he would prefer to do. So I, I think that's an incredibly important point that you make Karen, which is it's, you're going to be going through some form of grieving throughout this whole process because you're losing aspects and dynamics of your relationship yeah. and the, the way of living. Are, who yeah. they were, right? Who you knew yeah. them to be. It is a death, right? It's a death of who they it were, is. just not a physical death. And but, it was hard for my mom too, because the she felt hopeless sometimes and it was hard to hear her be hopeless. My mom yes. was never a hopeless person. That's my, my mother, you know? yeah. And she was never like, she never just, she wasn't always the healthiest person in the world, but she was never sick. She was never really a sick person in any extreme ways. So to, to feel like, man, she, uh, to give up or to feel so frustrated or so down, but the part that resonated with me is just the mental health aspect. I was already seeing a therapist because I was dealing with job loss and COVID and all that. So I was glad that was already in place. And I shifted from, oh shit, I don't have a job. What am I going to do? I'm 52 years old. And like you're, you're the, the deck's already stacked against me too. Can we now talk about my parents? Yeah, <laughs> she yeah. was like, what's going on? So yeah. I'd call her, like I would have my, my, my therapist appointment on the phone on the way home from my parents' house as I'm shoving like McDonald's. Yeah. <laughs> so I wasn't, I wasn't, that was like probably the only way I was actually taking care of myself is just having somebody to vent to who was completely objective, which was great, but I wasn't taking in every other way. I was not taking care of myself, yeah. just food wise, especially in exercise. Cause I was just driving back and forth and driving back and forth and eating on the go and eating hospital food. Oh God. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, now that things are leveled out, things are like, this is it. Like, this is the space I'm in. That's what I've had to come to is from here on, right. Things aren't going to get better. They're just going to, they're hopefully they'll stay steady for a while. This is the beginning. And Uh, I'm glad to be having this conversation. I'm sorry that all of us are going through that. It feels good not to feel so alone, but it's Karen. I'll probably be reaching out and be like, and Katie, I need that binder. But (laughs) it's like, you know, to talk to people and understand, I didn't even think of any of all that other stuff that we have to. One thing that's been helpful for me and Katie, you referenced it. One thing, one of the things I wanted to be when I was younger, one of the millions of things I wanted to be when I was younger was I wanted to be a writer. I wanted to write. I wanted to write children's books. I wanted to write something. I came up with an idea to write a book, a children's book about using cats and getting somebody to animate it when talking about blended families, because I was talking about divorce and I haven't written that book yet. But what what I started doing with my mom is because I want to document her life because she was part of the greatest, she's part of the greatest generation and uh, we're losing them. Because that's when I started doing this stuff on Pittsburgh. And I get unbelievable number of people, close friends reach out to me directly, but these are extended friends, friends that my husband went to high school with that I've become friends with just on social media. Haven't even met half of them in person or just that sort of thing. But most of them have already lost their parents. So it's resonating with them. Some of them lost their parents in their 20s and 30s or 40s and didn't even have this much time with their parents. So that's what I've started doing. And that's been helpful for me to do that, to show her the good days and the bad days and talk about her and how she responds to it. And she's hysterical, as you've seen some of the stuff that she comes up with. (laughs) When I try to get her to take a shower twice a week, she goes, what do I need to shower for? I'm not sleeping with anybody. And my mother never did. Even after her divorce, she didn't sleep with anybody, even when she dated. I love she was in her Captain America shirt the other day. Oh, I know. Yeah, that was a good one. I didn't have to fight her to take a shower the other day. She, But she's like, she's saw these two t-shirts that were there and she goes whose t-shirts are those and one of them actually the blue one had been mine and I it was a little too small for me so I just gave it to her but there's another one that's white with the other Captain America logo on it it's got a red A my mom's first name is Aileen so we bought it for her because of the A and so she's like who do those shirts belong to I said they're yours and she goes when did I get them I said we gave them to you three four five years ago whatever (laughs) 
And, and so, to her credit, there's t-shirts in the back of my closet that I bought six months yeah. ago. I remember. But so, you know, so it was it was cute. And I was trying to motivate her to, you know, go to the dining room. She hadn't had breakfast or lunch the other day when I got there. She doesn't can't even remember if she had breakfast or lunch. Yeah. But one of the things I wanted to share with you is I have a, a close friend who lost her mom and her mom eventually bought a pass with Alzheimer's is she started record, recording conversations with her mother. So I've started doing the videos of my mom just so I'll have her voice. And that's one thing I wish I had done with Kevin. Yeah, yeah, I did. So I put together the video for my dad's memorial and I had the video footage from interviewing them for their 50th wedding anniversary. Oh, awesome. So I totally agree. But I will say, so, and this is to anybody through this journey who's willing to share, your Facebook posts are for, I know you're saying that a lot of your friends had already previously lost their parents, but for those of us that are on this, your posts are so helpful in that there are days that you clearly did. It was not a good day, but (laughs) but there's always an Amelia to your thing about what you and your husband do. There's always some point about gratitude in it. There's always some level of grace given to yourself and to her. And there's just this, there'll be days like this. And then when it's a good day, you're like, yeah, it was a good day. And for someone who's earlier in the navigation, right? Like I just, I, I hope when I'm in those moments with my mom further down the road that I can, I'm going to go, Karen, <laughs> Karen told me there would be days like days this. Like this. And here it is. Yeah. Yeah. There's a great yeah. Van Morrison. Yeah. Days like this. So yeah, yeah. That's, that's the soundtrack of my life right now. Yeah. <laughs> will be days like this. Yeah. Amelia, anything on that list resonate with you? So much that you guys have oh, have already touched on. I would say it's not really ideal that my husband and I have this on both sides in v- very different yeah. capacities at the moment. Yeah. But it means that we're also very empathetic with each other. I mean, yeah. uh, yes. and I think that there are right. some yeah. aspects that my dad's personality has changed a lot. And so the dad that I knew is no, is no longer. And Karen, you touched on that. And yeah. now that's also happened for my husband. He's, I get it. I didn't really understand yeah. when you were saying that you were really sad that the dad that you knew is, is no more. Um, he's, now I, that's, I totally yeah. understand that. Yeah. It's the same for me. So I, that's creating space to mourn somebody before they're actually physically gone is, is very real. And I yeah. got to meet your dad a couple of weeks ago. It was quite lovely. <laughs> <laughs> it was yeah, quite and people who meet him now would, would never know in what ways or that he was different. Yeah. 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 We will put out some additional resources in our podcast notes. Some that you may want to go check out is www.caregiveraction.org. Karen has in previous conversations recommended an organization called daughterhood. .org. There's also caregiverconnection.net and my good friends at AARP. So, um, <laughs> but we'll put all those links in the podcast notes and we'll put um, something out on social media. And we would love to hear who you all are using, especially for those of you that aren't in the US. It would be great to be able to share some of those resources that is- um, happen around the, the globe. And to be honest, right, like to my fabulous binder that I'm building, I like there checklists are about, I'm hoping to pull some of the best things from all these checklists and create one big checklist because there's like tidbits on hospice centers. There's tidbits on financial organizations. There's tidbits on different caregiver websites. And so they all show a different snapshot of the the story. And so I'm hoping to try and pull something together. That's a little bit all encompassing, but yeah, for anybody listening, it, it might be a birthday gift or a Christmas gift. That we start what? giving out to people. <laughs> it's a yeah, binder. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Happy birthday. Here's a binder. Here's a binder. Start filling it out. Your future. <laughs> I did see something. I wish I could remember the name of this, but I was watching the Today Show yesterday and it was a Mother's Day gift and it's a book. I will try and find this and put it in the podcast notes for listeners. And on a, I'll put it on the corner on things we love, but it's a small book and it's just a series of questions for you to sit down and talk about with your loved ones and start building that story. Karen, your thing with the videotaping and stuff, it's, it was really lovely. And I think it was like, I'm like, Hey mom, happy mother's day. I know you won't always be here. So I want to ask you about one thing we did recently for uh, one thing we did recently for Easter is my mom has this famous potato salad that she makes. And I never attempt to make it 
until about two years ago. And I, because she can't stand and do that stuff anymore. So I remembered what I could of it. I asked her a few things. And so I started making it. Well, we had her here for Easter and she was sitting in her walker watching me cook. I was making mac and cheese from scratch <laughs> and uh, potato salad, red potato salad from scratch. And I looked at her and I said, mom, would you like to help me with the potato salad? Cause she always would wait to the end to add her mayonnaise right yeah. before she served it. And so I put her to work. And she loved it. So I videotaped her while she was doing oh, it. Awesome. And I had to, I had to make two bowls because my husband is a vegetarian. So no eggs in his potato salad, but <laughs> eggs for she and I. So she kept going, why are we doing two bowls? I think Al doesn't eat eggs. Remember? He doesn't even eat boiled eggs. No, he doesn't even eat boiled eggs. <laughs> but that was, that was a great one to do that. So again, recipes, whatever. Or I, right now she's going through visiting uh, the time when she lived at home with her folks. She's even said to me, I need to call home. I need to call home. And I'm like, who do we need to talk to? And she'll go, I need to check on my mom and dad. And I go, if yeah. you're going to be 95, mom, how old do you think? I don't say we can't call yeah. them their dad. I let her come to the conclusion. I let yeah. her figure it out. So yeah. But, uh, yeah. but yeah, family stories, try to capture those family stories. So I will, I'll put the link to that book once I find it out on the, awesome. the podcast notes. And so that is unfortunately all the time we have to discuss this important topic. For everyone listening though, please join us at the corner to keep the conversation going. And if you haven't joined yet, you can find us at www.liveimperfect.com and click on the tab for the corner on the top menu. So now it is time for our favorite part of the podcast, which is it doesn't all suck our moment (laughs) where we share something great happening out there in the world. And for this episode's moment, I'm staying focused on caregivers. And in this case, our medical caregivers, Samantha Raker, Roker, sorry, I always mess up people's names in this segment, but we're going to go with it. Achieved her goal of breaking the Guinness Book of World Records at the recent Boston Marathon for the fastest marathon in scrubs. So she wore, she is a nurse. And so she wore her nursing scrubs. She set out to achieve this goal to raise awareness for the need for mental health support for nurses, which has been exacerbated by um, the last two years with COVID. And not only did she do it, she smashed the record by about 20 minutes with a two hour, 48 minutes and two second run. She also set out to raise about 26,000, a thousand for each mile. And she raised 43,000 to support providing mental health resources to nurses. She was personally inspired to do this because as she was trying to help a friend who is also a nurse who was um, suffering from PTSD and depression that she was experiencing from the COVID situation, she realized there really wasn't a lot of resources out there for the medical community. So she herself uses running as an outlet and a form of stress relief. And so she used that both as uh, her way of, of catching her breath, but also as an inspiration for her goal. So First of all, congratulations to Samantha on achieving and exceeding your goal and for uh, bringing forward a very important topic. And just as a note, the women's winning time was two hours, 21 minutes and two seconds. So maybe Samantha could shave off 27 minutes and compete for first place. Absolutely. I did when I'm going to forget, she ran her qualifying race that she ran to be able to qualify for Boston. I'm going to forget, but it was a marathon in Pennsylvania somewhere. She went out to run the race just to qualify for Boston. She ended up winning it. Wow! I guess they were saying she came around the corner and her mom was like, you're in third. (laughs) She was like, I'm in third. I can win this thing. (laughs) I can win this thing. Anyways, we'll post that article as well. I know it's awesome. All right. So that's it for today's episode. But before we go, we have our ask for the episode, the task related to the topic that we ask you to consider putting into action. And this episode's ask is two pronged. If you are someone who is in the situation of providing care to a family member, we ask you to take a moment and identify the actions or activities that you're going to put in place to provide yourself with a break, stress relief and support you need. And if that's not you, but you know someone in this situation, our ask for you is to reach out to that individual and say, I'm thinking of you. And I just wanted to check in on you to see how you are doing. Sometimes just someone acknowledging what you're going through can make a world of difference. 
So do that. That's an important ask. But before we end today's episode, I'd like to give a big thank you to my guests, Karen, Amy, and Amelia. I so appreciate you coming on uh, and sharing your stories, very personal stories and all very emotional because we're all in the thick of it. I'd love to give you any last words or advice or anything you'd share with the audience as we wrap this up. Say one piece of advice that I found really helpful. I'm a total planner. I'm a strategizer. I did 20 (laughs) years in like operations and strategy and I was getting frustrated with aspects of trying to plan with people who weren't interested in making those kinds of decisions, both within family members and uh, the parents. And someone told me, you sometimes you just have to wait for something to happen before you can decide how to move forward. And you can't think of every scenario and gameplay it all out, even if for me, that would give me a sense of, oh, it'll be so much easier because when we get to this situation, I'll already have a sense. No. So I think letting go of the expectation or the desire to want to game play out and think down all these various different paths and plan for them was, is, has been really helpful and I think relieved some pressure. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Yep. Cause it, it, you can plan, but not put your pressure to plan every single thing, but some things are yeah. still going to be a yeah. surprise. Some things are yeah. still going to be out of the ordinary, but at least the other things that you planned won't add to the stress. I think that's the ultimate goal is limiting the amount of stress. Yeah. Cover off what you can and just, just yeah. be prepared. Everybody's for- binder will be different. And there will be some days where somebody is just not going to want to be videotaped. That's the sword you want to go on, right? <laughs> roll, Let it go. Roll, Let it roll with the punches. Karen, how about you? Anything? Actually, if you don't mind, I had two things that I just thought of. One was, as you're navigating the journey with the healthcare workers, the doctors, And if it gets to the point of rehab and and assisted living is you really got to stay involved, get to know who those people are and be um, very proactive because the people who have people showing up for them, whether you're family members or friends, they get better care. They really do get Mm. better care. So that's important for them. And let those people know that you're involved and you're going to be asking questions and you're going to be showing up because then they'll be more proactive as well. They got a lot on their plates and obviously COVID was huge these last two years with that. And so I thank them and I never lose my temper with them. Even if something's happened that shouldn't have happened, I, I don't lose my temper with them. I'm always very kind and polite to them. And the second thing I would just say that I didn't do with my dad's passing or my brother's passing is rely on your friends. Yep. Yep. Reach out to them. For well, sure. I think we feel sometimes that we don't want to be a burden. Yeah. I think that's always our, right. It's even our, my parents philosophy. I don't want to be a burden. I don't want to be a yeah. burden. And yeah. um, if they're really your good friends, then the last word they would ever use to describe you is a burden. So you're right. You're absolutely right, Karen. Yeah. And one thing I do is I have two friends that are navigating two very difficult situations. One is a friend whose wedding I was in years ago, and I had no idea that I knew she had gone through a divorce, but I didn't know she had ovarian cancer. And then I found out she's had a relapse of her ovarian cancer. Mm. She and a sister are supporting her mother who's in assisted living (laughs) while she's trying to deal with her own thing. So I reach out to her about once a month. If I'm in Orlando, I go by I bring her dinner or do something because she's just not up for going out. But I, it helps me remind myself how blessed I am. And another friend is navigating her husband, who's about two years older than me, who was a high school friend. And he's had Alzheimer's since he was in his 60s. Oh, wow. And he no longer even knows who she is, but she has him at home. And so I reach out to her yeah. at, least, at least once a month and to see how she's doing is because there's always somebody who's dealing with something worse than, than what we're dealing with. Which is why we've put that in the ask as well, because yeah. even yeah. the strongest people who yeah. look like they have everything together and are managing it need someone to ask every once yeah. in a while, how are you yeah. doing? I, I am guilty of that myself, which is why I've, <laughs> I think I was like, somebody said, how's your mom doing? I go, she's fine. Ask how <laughs> I'm doing. <laughs> you said that to me. I have to say, Katie, I don't know. I'm sure your mom has had this conversation and I, I hopefully she didn't say this to me in confidence. <laughs> you, you, 
take it out if you need to edit it during at the memorial service which i have to say your mom did a phenomenal job at the, with the eulogy that she gave and i was so proud of her because i know it was really hard for her to do that and she said beautiful things and i know she said she practiced like three times a day for the last several months <laughs> yes. she wanted it to she didn't want to be a blubbering yeah. <laughs> she wanted to get it out she wanted to tell her story but she said to me she was like katie took such good care of me that I couldn't take care of her. She, no. yeah, I said, that's what we do, right? Now she felt, mm -hmm. I mean, I think she has a little bit of, I don't, I don't, maybe it's not guilt, but she acknowledged that you didn't get to grieve the way she got to grieve. Yeah. That your grief, that your grieving was delayed. So I just want to make sure that I'm sure that I'm sure your mother has told you that, but she's we had not a just very, telling you. She's we had a very long <laughs> conversation a couple of days ago, actually yeah. about that topic. <laughs> you know, and I told her, I said, that's what we do, especially like you and I just, you knowing you for so long, like we, we just, we'll just go, you just got to go and just take care and yeah. um, move forward. My, you know, my dad described me to one of the nurses as, oh, she's just like all business. I'm like, well, <laughs> I have to be because you're yeah. emotional right. and you're upset right. and I have to do that. The rest of the family in New York, everybody's all upset. I'm like, it's not that I don't, uh, that I don't care. It's that this has to get done. I do my crying in the car on the way home. So I, I think that we just will do what we need to do to get through something. Um, all four and, of us deal with that stuff for later. A, all four of us worked for a company that conditioned us that yes. as things are falling apart, apart. get it done. <laughs> yes. yes. And keep that smile on your face. Yeah. It's a coping mechanism. Like we all jump into yeah. a coping mechanism, yeah. right? Yeah. That's yeah. my coping is just help, just be helpful. Yeah. But I just yeah. thought I wanted you to know that your mom acknowledged that. That's so very sweet. sweet. That's, That's so a lovely sweet. way to end this podcast. Mm -hmm. I'll go out on that note. <laughs> all right. Big thank you to all of you that are listening in we so appreciate you coming along for the ride and please subscribe to the podcast if you have not yet also come see us on social media and www.liveimperfect.com and if you haven't joined us at the corner yet we'd love to see you i keep saying why haven't you joined yet join get started on our website at www.liveimperfect.com that's it for now and until next time i'll see you at the corner Bye bye